Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 264. Today's big Bible question, why was God merciful to David the murderer, and why do you and I need a Nathan in our lives? So, of course, we're continuing our discussion of David and Bathsheba from yesterday. So, hello, friends. Happy Wednesday to you. I am personally happy to report and praising God that this afternoon we in Central Coast California, uh, the Monterey Salinas area where I live, saw our air quality go into the moderate range for the first time in eight days. It had literally been unhealthy or hazardous for eight straight days. Like there wasn't a break. I don't remember a single time when the air quality was like yellow or green. It's all, I don't even know if it was orange. It's been red or purple and, uh, oh my gosh, crazy stuff. But this uh, afternoon, as I'm recording this, which is uh, late Tuesday night, um, Tuesday afternoon, things changed and my wife and I were able to go outside and walk and I didn't have to wear the bulky respirator mask I uh, bought off of Amazon so I could walk around in the terrible air. Well, that's neither here than there or there for most of you, but I am rejoicing and thanking God. Thank you, Lord, for that blessing. This Wednesday evening, I'd like to invite you to join us at 7 p.m. Pacific for a live stream Bible study called Pandemic Victory, Overcoming the Enemies of Our Souls. That'll be tonight, Wednesday night, at VBC Salinas on Facebook. That's Victor Bravo Charlie Salinas on Facebook. And we're going to be focusing on how to overcome doubt. And it won't be like a simple sort of, hey, just believe in God and you won't have doubt kind of discussion. But I'm hoping it's going to be a real and authentic one. Um, If you have struggled with doubt before, and you know, if you're wrestling with doubt right now in the midst of a most difficult year, please allow me to encourage you to join us. I believe you will receive strengthening from God's word. Now today we are, as mentioned, finishing up our discussion of David and Bathsheba from yesterday, and our readings include 2 Samuel 12, Ezekiel 19, Psalms 64 and 65, and 2 Corinthians 5, which once again, uh, 2 Corinthians is one of my favorite books in the Bible, man. It is loaded, loaded with good stuff, and I'm looking forward to getting back to it. And it contains so many powerful nuggets of truth that I don't want to just read them and like run the risk of us not seeing that. So allow me to read a couple of them twice for us. Uh, And first of all, I want you to notice in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 11, Paul's motivation for ministry, which is fear. But surprisingly enough, it's not the kind of fear you're expecting because he says there, therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. So what motivates Paul? One of the main things that motivates Paul to proclaim the good news of God is the fear of the Lord, which the Bible also tells us is the beginning of wisdom. Also, notice Paul's discussion of the tense, I'm putting air quotes there, of our human fleshly bodies. Uh, He calls our skin and bones, essentially, tents. T-E-N-T-S, as in a dwelling place. And the older I get, the more this passage sort of resonates with me. This is 2 Corinthians 5, 1-7. For we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Indeed, we groan in this tent, desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling, since when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. 
Indeed, we groan while we are in this tent, burdened as we are, because we don't want to be unclothed, but clothed, so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now, the one who has prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. So we are always confident and know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Man, there's so many wonderful truths in just that little chunk of scripture. We walk by faith and not sight. That's good stuff. Our bodies are not eternal, but will one day be replaced with bodies that don't die, wear down, get injured, or betray us in any one of millions of ways. Now, some of you listening to this, you have painful autoimmune disorders. Some of you have cancer. Some of you have struggled, you know, pretty much your whole life with body image issues. Some of you live in constant pain for one reason or another. Some of you are the mother of a, or the father of a special needs child whose tent, their body, is significantly malfunctioning in some way. And they groan about it, and you might even groan more about it as your parent, as their parent. And this whole situation is all because our bodies, our tents, they're only temporary, and they have all been imminently compromised by the fall. But do not despair, because your current tent is not your eternal home. If you are groaning in your body right now, or you are groaning because somebody you dearly and desperately love has lost the tent of their body, then know that one day you will be delighted in your heavenly body, and rest in the truth of the very first verse here. For we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with human hands. So if you've lost somebody, know that they have an eternal building in God. They have a tent that's so much better than these groany human tents we live in. Well, today, we consider how David, a man after God's own heart, could have ever committed such a grievous set of sins as he did. Murder, sexual abuse of power, lying, conspiracy, and adultery, to name not all of them, but several of them. How could he have found forgiveness? How did that work? And we're going to learn actually more about the character of God today than the character of David today. And we're also going to learn about the desperate need you and I have to have a Nathan in our life, not necessarily a prophet, although that's good too, but a person like Nathan who will come without fear and confront us when we are heading down a dangerously sinful path. I have learned in my life with honestly great difficulty to appreciate the Nathans um, because at first you don't appreciate the Nathans who come in love and confront you in your sin. You don't realize that they're doing something that requires incredible bravery and they're saving you from something terrible. So praise God for the Nathans. And let's read 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. So the Lord sent Nathan to David, and when he arrived, he said to him, There were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very large flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one small ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised her, and she grew up with him and with his children. From his meager food she would eat, from his cup she would drink, and in his arms she would sleep. She was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man could not bring himself to take one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, 
He took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for his guest. David was infuriated with the man and said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. Because he has done this thing and shown no pity, he must pay four lambs for that lamb. David replied, Nathan replied to David, You are the man. Thou art the man. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I rescued you from Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if that was not enough, I would have given you even more. Why then have you despised the Lord's command by doing what I consider evil? You struck down Uriah the Hethite with the sword and took his wife as your own wife. You murdered him with the Ammonite sword. Now therefore the sword will never leave your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own wife. This is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on you from your own family. I will take your wives and give them to another before your very eyes and he will sleep with them in broad daylight. You acted in secret, but I will do this before all of Israel and in broad daylight. David responded to Nathan. I have sinned against the Lord. Then Nathan replied to David, And the Lord has taken away your sin. You will not die. However, because you treated the Lord with such contempt in this matter, the son born to you will die. Then Nathan went home. The Lord struck the baby that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became deathly ill. David pleaded with God for the boy. He fasted, went home, and spent the night lying on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him, to get him up from the ground, but he was unwilling and would not eat anything with them. On the seventh day, the baby died, but David's servants were afraid to tell him the baby was dead. They said, Look, while the baby was alive, we spoke to him, and he wouldn't even listen to us, so how can we tell him the baby is dead? He may do something desperate. When David saw that his servants were whispering to each other, he guessed that the baby was dead, so he asked his servants, Is the baby dead? He is dead, they replied. Then David got up from the ground, He washed, anointed himself, changed his clothes, went to the Lord's house and worshipped. Then he went home and requested something to eat, so they served him food and he ate. His servants asked him, Why have you done this? While the baby was alive, you fasted and wept, but when he died, you got up and ate food. David answered, While the baby was alive, I fasted and wept because I thought, who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me and let him live. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba. He went to her and slept with her, and she gave birth to a son and named him Solomon. The Lord loved him, and he sent a message through the prophet Nathan, who named him Jedidiah because of the Lord. Jedidiah means beloved of the Lord, by the way. Verse 26, Joab fought against Rabbah of the Ammonites and captured the royal fortress. Then Joab sent messengers to David to say, I have fought against Rabbah and have also captured its water supply. Now therefore assemble the rest of the troops, lay siege to the city and capture it. Otherwise I will be the one to capture the city and it will be named after me. So David assembled all the troops and went to Rabbah. He fought against it and captured it. He took the crown from the head of their king and it was placed on David's head. The crown weighed 75 pounds of gold and it had a precious stone in it. In addition, David took away a large quantity of plunder from the city. He removed the people who were in the city and put them to work with saws, iron picks iron picks, and iron axes and to labor at brick making. He did the same to all the Ammonite cities. Then he and all his troops returned to Jerusalem.
Well, Nathan is the human hero here, right? Confronting David in a very dangerous situation to David to confront a king at any time with so much wisdom and grace and the proper amount of power. Once David's eyes are open, he admits his sin, confesses it, and seeks the Lord again. But because God is just, there has to be discipline. And for the rest of his life, David will face the discipline that comes from his abuse of power. Now, honestly, the whole chapter is a gut-wrenching, heart-wrenching chapter. Now, here's a word from Tim Keller again to help us process a little bit of what's going on here. And Pastor Keller says, everything in David's life is about to blow up and he doesn't even know it. He doesn't even realize it. So what does David get? What does God do? God sends Nathan and Nathan tells him a story. When Nathan the prophet comes to David, as you see, he tells him a story and it's an interesting story, kind of a sad story, But almost all interpreters agree David's response to it. Did you notice? David's response is kind of over the top. I mean, listen, lamb stealing, what a shame, but it's not a capital offense. In any legal code anywhere we know, stealing a lamb, especially a rich man stealing a lamb, is not a capital offense worthy of death. But David gets furious and he says, this man deserves to die. Does this man think there's no justice in my kingdom? Who is this man? Nathan, in the most direct sermon application ever in history, says, You are the man. One of the questions that comes up right away is, Why didn't Nathan just get to the point? If Nathan wanted to say, You've sinned, why didn't he just get right to the point? What's with him monkeying around with a story? Well, David's conscience is beginning to wake up. That's why he's over the top. That's why he's starting to say, This man deserves to die. He knows he deserves to die. He's feeling it. He senses it, probably at a kind of subconscious level. When his conscience begins to awake, Nathan moves in. Why? Because God has sent Nathan not to do condemning, but to do converting. God does not send a sword to smite David, but a scalpel to take out the tumor of sin. In other words, God is calling David to repentance. Wake up. Repentance is his only hope now. The only possible way for him to put his life back together again. So what is repentance? Repentance is killing the habits of your heart that are killing you without killing yourself. That's a good definition from Tim Keller. How do we do that? And then Keller, who's a pastor in New York City, continues and says this. How do we do repentance? Well, let's get on to it. But let me say something briefly. This is New York, and I'm sure there are a lot of great people in this room listening, a lot of talented people and good people, and maybe eventually, or maybe even now, a lot of prominent people But no matter how great you are, you're not like David. Is there anybody in this room or listening to this podcast whose life people are going to be discussing 3,000 years from now? I doubt it. Nobody in this room is the equal of David, yet look at what happened to him. If it can happen to somebody great like him, it can happen to you and me. Because David couldn't repent, it happened, and only because he learned to repent was he able to escape. If it happened to him, it can happen to you. How important is repentance? Hear the call to repentance. How do we learn to hear that call? If this is so critical, if this is the, a thing that makes or breaks your life, and it is, how do we learn to repent. First, as already mentioned, we have to see the context of repentance. New Yorkers especially feel like, okay, you so you say repentance is a way to bring deep permanent change to my life. Fine, that's interesting. So what are the steps? Put it in a sermon. 
Put it in a lecture or a PowerPoint or a book. Give me the steps for how to go deep change and then I will do them. I'll work them through on my own time in my own terms. Nuh-uh, says Keller. It doesn't work that way. The problem is you never know you're sinning when you're sinning. Sin doesn't often feel like sin. Look at David. When he sent for Bathsheba, he didn't really feel like a sinner. He felt like a lover. When he actually gave the order for Uriah to be killed, he didn't feel like a murderer. He felt like a general. Generals always are giving orders they know are going to result in the deaths of people. David was probably saying, well, yeah, he's going to die. But you know what? He could have died yesterday. He could have died tomorrow. could happen anytime. David was deceiving himself. Your greatest flaws, the habits of your heart that are killing you the most, by definition, are the ones you usually don't see. That's why they have control over you, because you don't see them, because you don't want to know. You don't want to see them, because you don't want to know anything about them. Therefore, even if I give you a little list, here's how you go about repenting, here's how you go about finding the parts of your heart that are killing you and learning how to permanently change you, I change them. Even if you go off and say, okay, I'm going to work on my biggest flaws, you don't actually know what they are. You couldn't know what that they are. Do you see that? If you sit down with your list, you're probably going to go after some red herrings, some things you probably need to change, but not really the big things you need to change. Well, then how are we ever going to find out? How are we going to be led into life-changing repentance? And the answer is friends spiritual friendships, radical community. Nathan was David's friend. He wasn't just a cleric or a priest. You know that if you've read the whole narrative. David would never ever in a million years have seen what he saw without Nathan. Now, I would like to publicly thank God, says Keller, for the Nathans he has sent me over the years without which I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here without all the Nathans. I want you to know I was never as good to my Nathans as David was to this one. David admits Nathan is right. He immediately says, you're right. I've never said that to a Nathan the first time around, says Keller. It takes me months, weeks, and maybe even years before I finally go to a Nathan saying, I guess you were right. Proverbs 27, 6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Do you have Nathans in your life? Have you deputized people to be Nathans? You're dead without them. In fact, Even the Nathans of your life wouldn't be Nathans unless they had Nathans in their own life. We're all dead without Nathans. Do you make it safe for people when they come and talk to you about what's wrong with you? Or do you get too devastated or too upset or too angry or too defensive or whatever? So that's powerful. That's powerful. You and I need Nathans. And in God's mercy... As a pastor over the years, I can really relate to what Keller has said because God has often sent Nathans into my life. People who would see the sin and tell me, confront me, not out of hate or jealousy, but out of love. And you can always, or I guess always, you can often tell when it's out of love and when it's not out of love. But I praise God for the Nathans and I'm fairly certain I have not handled the Nathans as well as I could have. Um, But we need Nathans in our life, and the Nathans in our life need Nathans in their life too. One more word about the Lord's justice and paying for our sins. There will indeed be times that you and I pay a heavy price for sin, but we will never pay the ultimate price for our sin because, and here's some good news for you, Jesus has already paid that ultimate price. 
Maybe you've had a rough day today, or maybe you, you will have a rough day if you're listening to this early. But the fact that Jesus has paid the price for the sins of all of those who have been saved by him is honestly something worthy of your stopping right now and thanking him and rejoicing in that knowledge that Jesus paid it all. As bleak as life gets for us, and it's been pretty bleak here lately for a lot of people, we have a heavenly dwelling to look forward to, a new body an incorruptible body, not vulnerable to viruses or cancer or any sort of disabling thing. And we have that to look forward to because of Jesus. We don't have to earn entry into heaven. We don't have to purchase our new body uh, with um, millions and millions of dollars. We don't have to pay the severest and deepest cost of our sins because Jesus has already done so and made it happen. Thanks be to God. Let's continue with Psalm chapter 64, verse 1. God, hear my voice when I am in anguish. Protect my life from the terror of the enemy. Hide me from the scheming of wicked people, from the mob of evildoers who sharpen their tongues like swords and aim bitter words like arrows, shooting from concealed places at the blameless. They shoot at him suddenly and are not afraid. They adopt an evil plan. They talk about hiding traps and say, who will see them? They devise crimes and say, we have perfected a secret plan. The inner man and the heart are mysterious, but God will shoot them with arrows. Suddenly they will be wounded. They will be made to stumble. Their own tongues work against them. All who see them will shake their heads. Then everyone will fear and tell about God's work, for they will understand what he has done. The righteous one rejoices in the Lord and takes refuge in him. All those who are upright in heart will offer praise. Amen. Psalm 65, verse 1. Praise is rightfully yours, God in Zion. Vows to you will be fulfilled. All humanity will come to you, the one who hears prayer. Iniquities overwhelm me. Only you can atone for our rebellions. How happy is the one you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We will be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. You answer us in righteousness with awe-inspiring works, God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the distant seas. You establish the mountains by your power. You are robed with strength. You silence the roar of the seas, the roar of their waves, and the tumult of the nations. Those who live far away are awed by your signs. You make east and west shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it abundantly, enriching it greatly. God's stream is filled with water, for you prepare the earth in this way, providing people with grain. You soften it with showers and bless its growth, soaking its furrows and leveling its ridges. You crown the year with your goodness. Your carts overflow with plenty. The wilderness pastures overflow and the hills are robed with joy. The pastures are clothed with flocks and the valleys covered with grain. They shout in triumph. Indeed, they sing. Ezekiel chapter 19, verse 1. As for you, take up a lament for the princes of Israel and say, What was your mother? A lioness. She lay down among the lions. She reared her cubs among the young lions. She brought up one of her cubs, and he became a young lion. After he learned to tear prey, he devoured people. When the nations heard about him, he was caught in their pit. Then they led him away with hooks to the land of Egypt. When she saw that she waited in vain, that her hope was lost, she took another of her cubs and made him a young lion. He prowled among the lions, and he became a young lion. After he learned to tear prey, he devoured people. He devastated their strongholds and destroyed their cities. The land and everything in it shuddered at the sound of his roaring. 
Then the nations from the surrounding provinces set out against him. They spread their net over him. He was caught in their pit. They put a wooden yoke on him with hooks and led him away to the king of Babylon. They brought him into the fortresses so his roar could no longer be heard on the mountains of Israel. Your mother was like a vine in your vineyard, planted by the water. It was fruitful and full of branches because of abundant water. It had strong branches fit for the scepters of rulers. Its height towered among the clouds, so it was conspicuous for its height, as well as its many branches. But it was uprooted in fury, thrown to the ground, and the east wind dried up its fruit. Its strong branches were torn off and dried up. Fire consumed them. Now it is planted in the wilderness, in a dry and thirsty land. Fire has gone out from its main branches and has devoured its fruit, so that it no longer has a strong branch, a scepter for ruling." This is a lament and should be used as a lament. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens not made with hands. Indeed, we groan in this tent, desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling, since when we are clothed we will not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we are in this tent, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed, so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. So we are always confident and know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. In fact, we are confident and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil." Therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your consciences. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to be proud of us so that you may have a reply for those who take pride in outward appearance rather than in the heart. For if we are out of our mind, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, since we have reached this conclusion that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but the one who died for them and was raised. From now on, then, we don't know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet we now no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation." The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to him, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us, We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. Praise his name. Thank you, Lord, for your encouraging word today from the scriptures. Good day to you, friends, and Godspeed.